You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. And we're going to read a portion of 2 Peter that will bridge from chapter 1 into chapter 2 as Judy shares that with us. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about from the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. All right, thank you, Judy, for reading for us. Well, sometimes the light that you are most grateful to see is the one outside your own front door. Esther and I were on a trip this past week, and we returned home last night to five degrees at MSP, and the truck started in the parking lot. And we made our way up to Elk River, and then uh, where we live, up the curvy roads of County Road 1 into our neighborhood, and then finally, our driveway and the light of our own front door. It was a good trip, and it was really good to come home. The place we went this week was, of all places, Mississippi. And, you know, nothing against Mississippi. It's just not an everyday kind of destination. But years ago, I met a YMCA chaplain from Columbus, Mississippi. She's about 20 years my senior. Over the years, we've served on some planning committees together for YMCA Christian Mission Conferences. And along the way, Esther and I got to know her and her husband, and they became friends. And this past week, after 27 years working as a full-time YMCA chaplain, she retired. So we went down to see them. We spent about four days with them in Mississippi. They found this little cabin for Esther and I to stay in that was owned and operated by a Christian couple. I knew I was in the South when I saw this sign above the door. If you're smoking, you'd better be on fire. (laughs) 
Mississippi is a very different place than Minnesota, I tell you. So if you hear any y'alls slip into my message, you'll know why. But it's a joy to be back, to be here for this Sunday where we get to place Bibles into the hands of some of our high school students. And as I find so often happens, we just so happen to have a scripture passage today scheduled weeks ago but without any thought to, you know, exactly what would be going on today, that perfectly fits the occasion. And if you don't think that God delights in tending to the smallest details, including how the Y Church message series lands and how things line up, then I would tell you that your God is too small. It just amazes me how this happens over the years. So the day we're giving away Bibles, God gives us a word about the Bible. I don't know how the passage struck you, especially maybe those closing lines, not exactly the ones you'd find printed on a coffee mug. Uh, It can be a daunting passage just due to its length, let alone some complex themes. But today, I told you I'd preach five minutes less, we're going to steer a clear path through the middle and mark out the major signposts of this passage. And Katie Vick from our team, she did such a great job leading us into 2 Peter last week and into this new series called Great and Precious Promises. Now, Second Peter is going to take us across the next few weeks, but next Sunday, we're going to hit pause, and I want to let you know about it now. There may be somebody you want to invite next week. We have a special opportunity in conjunction with the marriage event that's the night before. Dr. Kevin Van Lant is going to be in town. He's a clinical psychologist at the seminary that I attended, And he's going to stay for Sunday morning. And because of his expertise, I asked him, would he come and bring a biblical message on mental health? And that's exactly what we're going to do next week. I don't know a single person who is not impacted in some way, either personally or in their family or friendships at school, by challenges related to mental health. And so we're looking forward to being in a passage in Romans next week. And it'll be Dr. Van Lant who will be with us. But for today, it's Second Peter and a passage that moves us from chapter 1 into chapter 2. It's actually in chapter 2 I'd like to start because that's where Peter cites the reason for the instruction that he starts with. So we're going to begin with the closing lines of the scripture reading. Peter is writing to the followers of Jesus in Rome. A group of Jesus' followers is called a church. We should especially know that being a church in Hawaii. A church is in a building. It's the people who inhabit the space together, the family of God. And he's writing to the church in Rome. This church was being corrupted by false teaching. Peter says, just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament, he's looking back, there are false teachers among you. Now, you notice in that section in chapter 2, he's writing in the future tense, There will be false teachers among you. And it's always in the future tense. It's just a literary style. Now, we're not going to get into the reasons about why he uses it. But we know from the context that the fact of the matter was those false teachers were already there. And they arose from within the church, from within the church family, in this instance, not from the outside. And they were introducing teachings that were destructive and that deviated from the truth. And Peter says in that passage, many people will end up following them. And he says, you'll see how in their lives, these false teachers, how this is lived out. 
by their, I think the line was depraved conduct that Judy read for us. He says they're motivated by greed and they have personal motive. And this whole thing will throw the way of truth into disrepute. That means that the unbelieving world around us, around the church, is going to see this whole mess and the entire message of the gospel is going to be lost on them. They're not going to want anything to do with Jesus. Now I say that in summary, then also to say that if this false teaching stuff from Second Peter sounds a bit strange, or maybe even you're a little skeptical and it sounds just a little overdone or suspicious, or it's old-fashioned, I'm telling you, just look around you. Just because we don't ordinarily use the terms false teaching does not mean that it doesn't exist. Yesterday, we were on our flight, our first flight back home from Mississippi, and I was thinking on Second Peter. I had my Bible out on the little tray thing. I'm thinking on this. I look up. One row in front of me, across the aisle, is a woman that is reading a book that I know fits this description to a T. Now, I'm not going to tell you, you know, what the author was or the book title or anything like that, but it's by a Christian author who has deviated from the clear teaching of Scripture and found an audience that is eager to listen. Now, my aim in citing that example or just telling you to keep your eyes open is not for you or for me to be some doctrinal watchdog out there who is just waiting for somebody to step a little bit out of line. That would be like the Pharisees that Jesus calls out in the Gospels, and that is falling off the other side of the horse. But don't think for a second that false teaching doesn't exist or that it is just some antiquated idea from the Bible. You have to be grounded in the truth or you will find any number of twists and spins on Christian teaching that will scratch an itch, it'll sound good, but it will ultimately destroy your faith. And it's so often subtle. It's so subtle. What did Satan say in the Garden of Eden when he's talking to Eve? He didn't say to her, does God really exist? You know, that'd be just way too obvious, right? That's not what he says. He says, did God really say? Just a little twist. And he tempted Eve with something just a little bit more palatable than obedience. And that is the way it still rolls today. It is not the atheistic philosopher who is going to undermine your faith. No, it is the Christian who comes along and says, Did God really say? Does the Bible really say this or that? It's precisely what's going on in Rome, and it's what causes Peter... Now, at the beginning of this passage, so you can look up to chapter 1, verse 12, to say, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Three times in these opening verses, Peter says something like this, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to refresh your memory. You will always be able to remember. And someone once described to me that the work of a pastor is the ministry of reminding. The ministry of reminding. And it's true. Well, I'm not here to tell you anything new. I'm here to remind you of what God has already said. 
of what God has already done, and in many cases, as we spend time together, of things that you have already heard. And we need these reminders again and again. Peter says in the next verse, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. As you can see in our translation, it says, refresh your memory. But actually, that's too tame of a translation. The word actually means to stir up. Have you ever stirred up a fire? How does that work? You take a stick or a log and you poke at it. You stir it up. You provoke it. And that's what reminders of sound teaching are supposed to do. They poke at us and provoke us and stir us up and they cause us to prize the gospel anew. Martin Luther had a well-known saying that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Otherwise, he knew the fire will die out. Where we become ho-hum about it. We can even get used to the greatest news on earth that set us free. And the fire inside us slowly dies. And so one of the reasons that we emphasize regularly coming to worship is so that this can happen, that we can be reminded and our faith can be stirred up. But we recognize here that that's not just my job or like the job of a sermon or something that happens on Sundays. As we've displayed now two different times up front here, I'll give some examples. Parents and grandparents, you have a ministry of reminding with your kids or your grandkids. You are pastoring them in a way that I can't. You are shepherding them, reminding your children and your grandchildren of the truths of God's Word. Single adults, single adults of whatever age, you have a ministry of reminding that is going to take place within your friendships or your extended family. Those of us who are seniors, you're up there in years. This ministry of reminding is for you till the very end. Psalm 71 says, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. And Peter knows in our passage, he's saying, I'll paraphrase it, he's saying, my time has come, my body's about to be rolled up like a tent and set aside, but as long as I live, I'm going to remind you. And so I want to give you a gentle challenge today. That you would think of one person this week who needs the ministry of reminding. And not just to think of them, but to actually text them or call them or write them or tell them to their face. They could be somebody in your own four walls. And just remind them that God's Word is true. That in face of doubt, He does keep His promises and He is worth following. Or whatever you think that reminder should be. It might, might even just be your favorite Bible verse that you want to share and remind a friend. But think of one person Even right now, as I ask the question, one person who you can remind this week, and then carry it out. If you're like me, you probably have to do it like this afternoon and not wait till Thursday or you'll forget. But then let me know how it goes or tell your why group what this ministry of reminding was like. Now, the specific reminder that Peter needed to give in the original context to that church is what comes next in verse 16. 
He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So look carefully at the middle part of that verse. And there you'll see the specific reminder they needed was about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. What's he talking about? The second coming, the future coming of Christ. And it was because the false teachers were saying, Jesus isn't coming back. He was a great guy and all. We'll follow his teachings. But it's been so long and clearly he's not coming back. And that little twist, that deviation, there's things that follow from it. It follows then that if he isn't coming back, then there is no such thing as what's all over the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. Eh, Judgment's unpopular anyway, so let's just jettison that idea. And then if there's no judgment, then I can pretty much live however I want to. And my, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? 2,000 years later, we hear the same thing today. Jesus was a great guy and all. Let's follow his teachings, at least the select few that I agree with. But forget anything about judgment. It strikes me that we're the first generation in the history of the English language to make the word judgy an adjective. We just made the word up about 20 years ago is when it came into existence. But that's the theme of the day is essentially just be a nice human being and don't tell me how to live my life. And it's still there. If you want to empty out a church, you would probably do a series on the day of the Lord when Christ returns and he will judge the living and the dead. Already in Peter's day, within the church, people were like, eh, did God really say? But Peter says, let me remind you, I was there. These false teachers, by the way, they weren't there. They weren't eyewitnesses. He says, I was there. We, the apostles, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You see, the truth of Scripture is not just a nice ideal that we prop up, but it corresponds to eyewitness testimony and true historical events. And Peter's first line of argument goes back to what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And were some of you there, the Israel trip? Did you get to that spot, the Mount of Transfiguration? We're unsure, I'll have to check. Basically, Peter says, he's recalling this story from the Gospels, and he says, when I, Peter, was there with James and John, and we went up that mountain with Jesus, we saw with our own eyes how Jesus was glorified by the Father, and the voice of the Father spoke over his Son. And Peter says that was a prophetic event, a foreshadowing of the promise that Jesus will come again in power at the culmination of history. That's argument number one. Peter says, I saw his majesty. Argument number two comes in verse 19, and it has everything to do with the book that we just gave to our high school students. It says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now that is a verse. If you want to highlight something this morning, highlight that one. High school students, this could be the first verse in your Bible. What was it, 1175, page 1175. 
It can be the first thing that you underline, that you highlight. You can write in the margin the, the date, 129.23 and something like, got this Bible, right next to this verse. It's the last one that we'll look at. And then I'm going to tell us a story to finish. The prophetic message that we read of in that passage is Peter's way of saying the Scriptures, specifically from his vantage point, the Old Testament. Remember the context that he's making the case for the second coming of Christ, first as an eyewitness of Jesus' glory, and now what's he doing? He's pointing back to the biblical prophecy, the many lines in the Old Testament that foretold it. Something that Peter says is completely reliable. And what makes it so reliable? Well, he says, after this in the verses, he says the Bible never had its origin in human will or interpretation. But it was God. He says it was God who gave us this book, working through human authors, their personality, their writing style, their vocabulary, and he is inspiring them. They are carried along by the Holy Spirit in their writing. It's the same verb, by the way, for the wind that pushes a sailboat along. And Peter is reminding us in these words, this book is God-breathed, and it is the only book like it on the planet. So, Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to it. See that in the middle of the passage? Yesterday on the plane before we left the gate, the pilot urged us over the intercom to please pay attention to the flight attendants as they go over the safety instructions. And he emphasized, even if you are an experienced traveler. Well, how many people do you think looked up from whatever they were doing? Not many. But, theoretically, how many do you think would have looked up and paid attention if they knew in this flight we are going to lose cabin pressure at 30,000 feet? Or we are going to have to do a water landing. They would have been furiously writing notes and they'll have the safety manual out in front of them. It would have been a totally different story. Peter says, history is heading toward a certain destination that is described and contained in this book and you will do well to pay attention to it. And then comes this beautiful image where we get the title for the message today as to a light shining in a dark place. It can be, amidst the joys and the milestones, even such as we celebrated today, it can be a dark world out there. Every week you watch the news and you're reminded of that. This week was no exception. The song, He is Worthy, starts with these words. Do you feel the world is broken? We do is the response in the song. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But there's a light that shines in the darkness, and we were reminded just this Christmas that the darkness has not overcome it. In fact, it's heading toward a bright and brilliant finish. Peter says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. One writer said, the day of the Lord when Christ comes again is an eschatological event, that means end times event. It is an eschatological event with an interior impact. He is coming again, this time in power and glory, not as a baby in a manger. 
Peter calls him the morning star. You could capitalize that M and S in the text. He is the morning star, and the interior impact is when he appears not just on the horizon at the second coming, but when he rises in your heart here and now. I want to finish with a story from Mississippi. I came back with a lot of stories from that place. Esther and I met a lady, got a picture of her here, named Lula. This picture was taken at the YMCA. She's been a long member of the Y. And the day that we met her was the day of her granddaughter's funeral up in Michigan. She died 25 years old in a car accident. And Lula, it's the day of the funeral, she said to us there in Mississippi, she just couldn't go. It would have been too much. And she didn't mean just because of her age. And one of the reasons it would have been too much is that her daughter, the granddaughter's mother, had just died two weeks before from heart failure. So here's this dear woman, 74 years old, with grief upon grief. A woman, we learned, whose life could be a book as we sat with her. Years ago, when she was a younger mother, she was shot point-blank in the stomach, wrestling a shotgun from a man at the doorway to their home. How she survived another sermon another day is a story in and of itself. And to this day, she walks with one side that is riddled full of BBs that they did not remove. She survived colon cancer after that. She has buried her husband. Over the years, she has raised 25 children, some biological, some via foster care and adoption, many of them rescued from the rough neighborhoods in Milwaukee where she and her husband had lived. But here she sat on this day, the day of her granddaughter's funeral, and you know what she said to Esther and I? She said, if I could speak it the way she does in her words and her accent, I would. But here's what she said. I'm holding God to his word. He's going to keep keeping me. And she said, though I'm going to go home and cry today, I know that this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I wanted to know, where do you learn that kind of faith? Right here. So be reminded. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for how you stir us up. How you fan the flame of our faith once again this morning. And we pray, Lord, that the great and precious promises of your word would continue to ring true in our ears. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus came for us, and we thank you that he is coming again, that he will come again in power. And that for us who believe and trust in you will be such a day of salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would tend to each one around these tables the things that burden them or concern them, the specific challenges and circumstances of their life, 
And just as you tended to Lula, Lord, and continue to do so, I pray that you would keep keeping each one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.